0: Hi. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, this is Shannon O'Hara. And
1: uh, I am Harry Tangal.
0: And so we are both at the Daily Californian. I'm currently the staff representative. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, and um, I'm from arts. I uh, usually cover comic books. But uh, yeah, we're here to talk about Game of Thrones.
0: So we're super excited. We're both really big fans of the show, um, though we got into it in pretty different ways. Um, I... Binged it all right before season seven. Um, I wanted to impress people right before I was meeting new people. It was around the turn of the school year. Um, So I was like, I need to kind of be up on this. And so I I watched, for me, the first six seasons kind of all over the course of a month and immediately fell in love. It reminded me of everything else on TV and movies that I was really into.
1: Yeah, and I had to watch it somewhat under duress uh, because I was in... um, Film 181, which is the advanced screenwriting class. Um, And in that course, you have to simulate being in a TV writer's room. So the show that uh, that class traditionally uh, uses for the writer's room exercise is Game of Thrones. And we had to, if we hadn't seen Game of Thrones, catch up on like seven seasons of television in order to be prepared to write uh, a potential uh, first episode for season eight. Um, So it's kind of weird because... I didn't love Game of Thrones for quite a bit. Um, I think I only really realized that I had an emotional tether to the show during the Red Wedding and just how awful I felt afterwards. I was like, this must be an indication that I like this show. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I really kind of got into it around season four, season five. Um, And yeah, it was a very kind of gradual transition into loving Game of Thrones, Um, writing that uh, hypothetical Season 8 premiere was a lot of fun, and we can kind of yeah. talk about that later. If we talk we about are definitely
0: going to get into um, some of what that episode entailed. Um, I was lucky enough to play Ario when we did the little script reading of Harry's lovely script um, that he wrote with this class. So we are going to talk about what we think is going to happen during season 8. Um, a lot of things are definitely going to happen. There's a lot of um, things that have to come full circle, a lot of characters that will meet their demise and the end of the day there's a throne that somebody's got to take over so Harry what what do you think will happen and what do you want to happen
1: (laughs) all right well my kind of cohort of uh of a writer's room and the previous kind of cohort of that writer's room um kind of weirdly came up with the same beats individually of each other um kind of like having that reunion at Winterfell um and just kind of those emotional beats. Um, Jamie Lannister out on the road, on the King's Road, um, as he's traveling to Winterfell. Uh, that kind of stuff, um, and which we kind of actually see in some of the promo material of um, that we've seen from HBO and Game of Thrones. Um, the the dynamic between um, Sansa and Daenerys that's kind of fraught that will they'll eventually have to kind of smooth over in their alliance. Um, the kind of emotional tether of having John and the crypts reflecting um, on spoilers, his true parentage, um, that he is half Targaryen and half Stark. So those are all kind of things that we came up with um, that weirdly found its way into some of the promo material that we've seen. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting how we kind of arrived all kind of independently of each other at some of the same things like in, in episode one, you're going to have to just kind of have these logistical things play out so that everyone's in the right spots where they need to be in order for the rest of the season to play out. That being said, um, I am really interested into whether or not Daniel will actually break the wheel. Um, I What I want to happen is that she and John just kind of happily share the throne, but obviously <laughs> that's not going to happen because that's not the show that we know. Um, so... I think there is a real possibility that uh, one of them will have to die. Um, John is the Song of Ice and Fire by himself, so that doesn't bode too well for Danny, although I really dislike that possibility. Um, so, yeah, just yeah. we're having to get ready for character deaths that will leave me devastated uh, in a few weeks. So, I don't know, Shannon, yeah. what do you think?
0: Um. I didn't have to write a whole episode about it, but so I can just be indulgent, which is nice. Um, I definitely want to see something go down between John and Danny. Um, I want one of them to kick the bucket, for sure. Genuinely, I don't know if I have a preference for which one. I just really want that dramatic scene. Um, In my head... Um, I would like to see one become a white walker because I want to see either John or Danny riding that ice dragon and then someone else on the other dra- one of the other dragons. Um, well, I guess there are only two now, but um, oh no, there's three. I'm not gonna yeah, see. there's three. Yeah. There's still three, just one's made of ice. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to see dragon on dragon, Danny on John. I think that would be awesome. And then my other little like pet project secret desires my favorite character is actually melisandra i think she's extremely compelling and always brings something exciting and something new um so i'm very much looking forward to her prophesized return um we haven't really heard hide nor hair of her for a little bit so that's something that i'm personally really looking forward to
1: um yeah definitely she has to come back there is that prophecy that uh, sh- that she said that she'll have to die in Westeros. Um, so there's a real chance that we'll get to see some substantial Melisandre content, which yeah. uh, bodes well for uh, for those of us who li- uh, like her character. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, well, one of the interesting things that we as a writer's room kind of dealt with, um, and I'd really like to emphasize that it was like a bunch of other people, not just me, that were kind of like involved. Uh, with ideation so it's really all of our ideas kind of lumped into one. Um, we all had to kind of grapple with the theories that are out there. Um, just folks on Reddit that have like spent way yeah. longer thinking Some about this. Some
0: of y'all are really creative. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, One of the things that we kind of ran with um, was brand becoming the Night King. Um, and there are a few different mechanisms that we were kind of toying with. Um, the first that I think is really popular amongst the fandom is Bran kind of literally becoming the Night King um, in kind of this closed loop um, where he's responsible for starting everything, like through his um, time travel powers. Yeah, Stinking Bran. Um, But our kind of writer's room went about it a slightly different route where Bran kind of becomes a proxy for the Night King. Um, He, you know does uh he uses his green sight and the night king kind of grabs hold of him and then kind of turns bran into this proxy that he can kind of use to be you know on the inside of winterfell and kind of have his man on the inside uh be bran and you know that obviously gives the night king a whole host of powers uh this giant advantage that he can use tactically uh over the living in addition to having uh viserion uh, on his side so that was kind of how we um, imagined uh, the arc of season eight going. Mm. Um, in addition, that would also kind of uh, give it some emotional uh, emotional heft. Um, if John or Danny is to uh, kill the Night King, they're gonna have to kill Bran, which is this kind of character um, that we've sort of grown to care about. Some uh, of us care. Yeah, some, <laughs> some of us care. Of us,
0: like myself, do not.
1: There's three of us that care. Um, about Bran. Um, So having to kill him to kill the Night King was um, something that we found uh, interesting to play with.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I definitely like the idea of, like you mentioned, Bran being a proxy for the Night King more than I like the idea of him being the Night King himself. And for me, that ties back to all the debate we're having about what the White Walkers actually want. Um, And in my opinion, there's room for a more compelling reason if Bran is not the Night King, because then you're also kind of asking yourself what Bran might want. Um, And Bran's a good guy, even though I don't like him. Um, But thinking about what the White Walkers want, um, there's all kinds of nutty theories out there. Um, We're thinking maybe the um, the White Walkers, the Night King might have a wife that is kept away, um, in the Stark crypts, The Night Queen might be waiting there for him, um, and so this might all be a very romantic quest for the Night King.
1: The things he does for love.
0: The things he does for love,
1: um... Yeah, that's, uh, that's courtesy of, uh, Redditor, whose name I don't have access on right now, but basically the theory is that, um, way long ago there was, uh, this actual person who became, um, the lover of this mythical hero Azor Ahai, um, and to defeat the initial kind of wave of White Walkers, um, that uh, individual who was the lover of Azor Ahai had to die um, because of story reasons, um, and eventually um, she was buried beneath Winterfell in the crypts. So, uh, you know, if uh, that person is involved with the Night King, then that gives the Night King an emotional reason to uh, put a target on Winterfell. Um, it's really kind of odd because Winterfell, geographically, is the nearest like major location from the Wall, which is the White Walkers' point of entry into Westeros. So, in addition to kind of Winterfell being this logical geographical like point of interest for the White Walkers, um, they might have this emotional reason uh, for raising an army of millions to you know. Yeah, you know.
0: and just to give credit to that theory that came from an article written by Milos. Katanovic um, and so definitely check that out on reddit it was posted by dawn horizon um, so definitely a very interesting theory um, I mean we were talking about how yes Winterfell is closer um, to north of the wall and how that might be a strategic opportunity but there's also maybe the trick is um, that they're going to King's Landing which we've also talked about um, Yeah, which is a very interesting theory
1: um, that theory kind of the whole idea of that is Winterfell is kind of a red herring. Um, there's this massive um, battle for Winterfell that our heroes uh, win at great cost, but really it's just a diversion for the Night King to um, sack King's Landing in the south, um, where Cersei is uh, more or less vulnerable. She doesn't. Um, we don't know if she has the Golden Company yet, or you know what her forces are like. So, in doing that, uh, our heroes may win Winterfell, but they're gonna be you know, faced with a battle on two fronts, uh, from the north and the south, if the Night King is able to uh, raise an army, a southern army of I would zombies. love to
0: see Euron Greyjoy and his army and all those ships be White Walkers. I think that would be really cool. Do you think uh, Euron would, would be
1: as insane, as a zombie, as he is as a person? Worse? better? Probably worse. Yeah.
0: I mean, we also talked a little bit, I think, about a theory that Euron Greyjoy might be the one to kill Jon Snow in a... A major plot twist. Ooh, um, I haven't
1: heard of this one. Can you tell? Yeah.
0: I I don't know all the details of it, but people um, feel like it would be a shocking choice, and there are questions of why introduce Euron, um, who is clearly such this like strong and compelling character who has such a key role to play from everything that we can tell, um, and he might be the one um, to actually face off with John in battle and. I think more credence might be given to this if he is a white walker and they end up on opposite sides that way. Yeah. But I think it would be maybe we're all being led astray thinking that this will be Danny versus John when one of them might die tragically in the arms of the other.
1: Yeah. I mean that that you're on uh you're on uh white theory. Like if that happens, then not only do they have a land battle to be kind of concerned about, there's a naval army of whites that you now have to be concerned about. So that'd be interesting. I'd be down for that. Zombie pirates. Zombie that, pirates. I know that appeals um, to your sensibilities quite a bit.
0: I'm a big Pirates of the Caribbean fan, y'all. So I love the idea of zombie pirates. Um, I think it would be cool if the waters freeze over as the ship sails over it. But oh, damn, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, that'd be an awesome visual. Um, I guess while we're on the subject of who's gonna kill who, coo- who's gonna kill who on this um, on this final season? We should talk about Cersei, who yeah. we all seem to be in unanimous agreement as a fan base. She's going to bite it this season. Um, Harry, how do you think it's going to go down?
1: Yeah, well, the most kind of common and kind of accepted uh, theory is that um, Jamie would have to be the one to kill her. Um, for story reasons, I mean, he started off being this person that would do anything to uh, protect her, and now... Uh, Having to kill her would be the ultimate dramatic irony, which is very Game of Thronesy. y. Um, in addition to that, there is the uh, Valencar prophecy, which is um, the prophecy that Cersei heard as a child from Maggie the Frog, I want to say. Um, and that prophecy says that uh, she will die at the hands of a younger brother. Um, so that younger brother could be Jaime, who is, um, you know, twin but born after her, so therefore younger brother. Um, she, Cersei has long thought it would be Tyrion um, as the younger brother that would do her in. Um, that's kind of formed the basis of their relationship for such a long time. Um, a really interesting theory I believe from Mashable um, that writes that Cersei may actually be pregnant and that uh, you know the new child she dies in childbirth um, and You know that baby is the younger brother of her dead children. Very Mm. morbid sentence to say, Um, (laughs) and the irony is that you know, no, nothing. She loves more than her children, but eventually, it's a child that kills her.
0: And this would just mirror in such interesting ways um, to her relationship with Tyrion, who killed their mother um, during childbirth. And the Mashable theory does suggest that Cersei's child that will be born will also be born with dwarfism. um, in kind of yeah coming full circle in a way that we may not have expected and you mentioned you said um she might actually be pregnant in an interesting way do you feel like she's not pregnant oh yeah
1: um honestly I think that would be a very servicey thing to do to kind of like try to keep Jamie on her side um but I think it would be more I like the Mashable Theory um I think that's uh like the ultimate dramatic irony for a character who's you know so hell-bent on her political machinations that you know she eventually she is kind of like um like her own worst enemy in this case it's yeah. like a literal sense which is really weird to say but
0: yeah i'm i i think it would be more compelling if cersei is actually pregnant um it also kind of there's another theory out there that Tyrion might actually be playing Danny a little bit and might end up betraying Danny for Cersei at the very end. And a compelling motivation for him to do that would be um, to protect Cersei's future child. Um, so I, I also kind of like the theory from that angle. Um, the other person who might um, be coming after Cersei um, is Arya Stark. Um, it's been suggested that, yes. Jamie will kill Cersei but we will be shown that it was actually Arya in disguise the whole time, killing yeah. Cersei and I kind of like that That's
1: <laughs> like, in terms of setting up Arya's ability um, to impersonate folks, that would be the ultimate payoff of that, I think um, in a really awesome way I think a lot of people are kind of let down by um, Littlefinger's death um, so I think the use of that ability for Arya would be, you know, something a little bit more substantial. And she's got that list. Um, Cersei's definitely on it, so...
0: Yeah, there's not too many people left on it. Um, I was reading about the other random person that on it is, that people think we might see again, is Ilan Payne, who executed Ned Stark way back in the day. Um, So we might get a return from him, along with, I forget his name at this point, but the sexy pirate who was friends with Davo's back in season 4. All I know is people refer to him as the Sex Pirate and personally, I forget about him, but I would be interested yeah. in seeing that character return.
1: I uh I honestly can't say that I remember Sexy Pirate, although um now I wish I did. Um but
0: there was a picture of him and he was sexy. Um, but I don't know
1: who it is. I'll take your word for it. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I saw, I was reading, like, the fandom entry on... Salador San.
0: That's that's who we're talking about here. Gotcha. Um, um, Speaking of whether people are pregnant, do you think Danny's pregnant?
1: That was something that we wrote into uh, our screenplay. Um, There were a lot of, like, good reasons for and against. Um, I mean, if you wanted to... The reveal of Jon Snow's parentage... That he is a half Targaryen. I don't think that that's going to have too much of an impact on Jon just because, you know, he said it himself to Theon, like, you can be both. You can be both a Stark, you can be a Targaryen, it doesn't matter. Um, but that would have an impact on Danny, who would realize that Jon has a legitimate claim to the throne. Um, and that's what she wants. Um, so if she were pregnant, then that would... Maybe uh, offer some emotional tether to keep them from you know splitting apart in their right. alliance. Um, I personally think there's like way too much going on this season to just kind of throw another wrench like in there. Um, I don't know. I kind of don't want to see Danny in that position. Um, I think. But
0: the only context that is interesting to me is the idea of Danny and Cersei being pregnant at the same time and how those arcs could potentially mirror each other. Um, I would be excited to see that. But also, I <laughs> agree, you're right. We got we got a lot going on and a lot to get through. We
1: got six episodes here. it's a lot to cram in.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I think... I don't know. Um, so I guess... I don't know. What other theories <laughs> are you a fan of or maybe not a fan of? Um, There's some fun ones on here that we can kind of go over.
0: I will say that... My absolute favorite theory that's been put out about Game of Thrones is that Lord Varys is, in fact, a merman. Um, I'm just going to leave it there.
1: I I was wondering, have we ever seen Varys' feet?
0: We have not. We've never seen his feet. Um, I believe that's because he does not have any. Um, he probably does have a tail. And so the hook for this theory, um, I will have to go find a link for it so I can credit it. But the I will read the quote, which is, the biggest hook for this series is the speed in which Varys traveled from Dorne to Danny's ship. While the showrunners have chalked it up to some dodgy pacing, others have loosely speculated that it's because Varys actually has a tail. That was good enough for me to convince me.
1: Well, hey, Game of Thrones has been really leaning into uh, the fantasy spectacle elements, so a CGI merman tail certainly They've isn't... They've
0: got to spend all of their budget before they go out. They may as well spend it on a CGI tail.
1: Um, give the people what they want. HBO. Maybe mermaid tails.
0: Birds are
1: fish. Oh my god!
0: Blow in my mind. Blow yeah. in my mind. But so that was definitely my top theory out there. Um, I can add that to my wish list of things that I wish would happen.
1: I think, kind of, on a more practical side. That's there's... not
0: practical, Harry. Oh, I mean, well. <laughs>
1: We really want to know how Varus traveled that fast, but in addition to that practicality, (laughs) um, there are some things that I am really excited about seeing this season. Um, We've heard a lot about how the episode, uh, the Battle of Winterfell, is being modeled after the Battle of Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings, um, which is really interesting to me. I think it's been. A lot of people have kind of remarked on how Game of Thrones went from being this political drama to kind of being this spectacle. Um, And I think it's pretty great that they do both really, really well. Um, We know that Miguel Sapochnik, who directed The Battle of the Bastards, uh, Hardhome um, is coming back to direct um, The Battle of Winterfell. And one of my favorite parts about, um, you know, the Battle of the Bastards was the way that, you know, He plays with perspective in such a way that, you know, you're following one character and then, you know, when, you know, a horse kind of comes out of nowhere on, like, the left of the screen, it's this really kind of jarring, intense um, way to shoot action that I, you know, you don't even really see in, like, the best cinema Mm -hmm. um, in, like, blockbusters these days. So I'm really excited to see something awesome in terms of form um, from the show. Um, And from what we've seen uh, from kind of the promo material, like, it looks like, it's gonna be this really intense nighttime battle, like natural lighting from fires that we can assume come from you know dragons and all that good stuff. So, as much as you know, people kind of rag on the way that Game of Thrones has kind of become the spectacle-driven like fantasy show. Um, I am personally, um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to see that.
0: I just remember the shot that stuck from stuck with me from Battle of the Bastards was Jon Snow just like emerging from these this absolute mass oh, of yeah. bodies, um, and just such like an overwhelming um, shot, and just like feeling how hard he's breathing and how like suffocating and claustrophobic that must be. Um, reminded me actually kind of of Helm's Deep. What stayed with me about Helm's Deep in a similar way was just the sheer number of people that were involved in that battle. Yeah. Um, they did not pull punches um, in terms of, yeah, they really fleshed out the number of soldiers that they had on that one and the number of creatures and the fires and the explosions and people coming from all sides. And I think there's a lot of room for really powerful imagery in those kinds of overwhelming spaces.
1: Yeah, I think there is a certain, like, certain degree of iconography that Game of Thrones has certainly achieved. Um, and I'm excited for them to really go all out. They've had quite a bit of time to prepare for this um, and it should be great. So, I don't know, Shannon, like what to you is like the most satisfying ending that we might see out of Game of Thrones?
0: That is such a difficult question, I think. I mean, what I would be the most happy with is if John and Danny can just jointly share the throne. Cersei bites the bullet at the hands of Jaime. Jaime is pardoned by the state. um, And Sansa and Arya. Sansa rules Winterfell as queen of the north. Um, Arya and the Hound are best friends. I just want everyone to be happy, um, except for Cersei and Bran I could go either way on. (laughs) Right.
1: Um, And... The funny thing is, well, I mean, there's, like, maybe two people out of that list of names that are going to make it. Um, So I think we can expect, you know, a radical shift. I think it'll be interesting to track how Westeros itself changes. Um, I was listening to um, Cast of Kings hosted by Dave Chen and Joanne Robinson, and uh, something that they kind of bounced around was what if, you know, the fighting against the White Walkers is completely resolved by... um, you know, early in the season. And the rest of the season is just, like, the political fallout. That'll be really interesting to me. Um, I know Brian Cogman is kind of coming back to write um, episodes, and, you know, he's great at writing, you know, that kind of dialogue. Yeah. So I think it'll be interesting. There was that, like, vision that Danny had um, of, I think it was the Red cape. Yeah. Keep. I... Yeah. Um, yeah, just the throne in shambles. Um, um, and I
0: believe not only that, but there, there was, like, snow um, yeah. surrounding the area. Um, which is another interesting symbol
1: Um, so yeah it'll be interesting to see how the politics and like the kind of organizational structure of Westeros changes Um, I think we've been kind of we as viewers have been set up to expect like some radical shift Um, but we've also been set up to expect nothing like we've been set up to expect you know things just kind of go back the way they were you know, if Danny actually breaks the wheel, I think that would be very satisfying. Um, if she ends up becoming another Aries, like the Mad Queen, mm-hmm. like that would also be in its own terrible way, like, satisfying, because that's well, what the yeah. show, like, um, kind of leads us to uh, be prepared for. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the show resolves itself, because it's almost like no matter how much of a bummer it is, or no, no matter how like satisfying it is, um, like, from fan fancierist perspective, like, anything goes, like, anything, yeah. the show's kind of set itself up to, um, you know, resolve yeah. itself in however way, yeah.
0: If you could save any character, you're in the writer's room, and you say, this character has to stay, yeah, who would you save?
1: All of the dragons. The dragons? I can't see them go, um... I, I love my dragons. Um, I've told you the story. I used to want to be a paleontologist. So the dragons, uh, they're not extinct anymore, and that's amazing, and we should do everything in our power to keep them safe.
0: Some people think there's dragon eggs in the Stark Crypt.
1: Yeah. Um, let's do it. More, dragons. <laughs> More um, dragons. I know that's like totally antithetical to like the political drama that we uh, expect from Game of Thrones, but I love me some dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, um, but yeah, I grew weirdly attached to Bran. Um, I know that's like an unpopular opinion. Um, through the through that writer's room, I was um, me and some uh, me and two other writers were you know in charge of brands like Arc. Um, and through that process, I just really got attached to Bran. He's been through a lot, um, you know, thrown out a window, traveled frozen wastelands, became this bird, three-eyed raven thing, yeah. um, and you know he is like in a weird way the most powerful person on the show it's um true. so in in that in that sense like he might bite it and i totally understand that but i think it'd be uh i really want to see um a satisfying kind of use of that power in some way something uh something to pay it off
0: i think i would save sir davis he deserves it he's so
1: pure <laughs> he deserves um, a
0: happy ending more than anyone else on the show
1: i i agree hard agree um
0: we haven't talked about gendry at all yeah what sort of role do you see him playing in this last season since it's been so overhyped for so long yeah waiting
1: i think i think like the most kind of um like thrown about uh like theory about gendry is that he will somehow be instrumental in forging uh Valyrian steel or Valyrian steel dragon glass hybrid weapons um, that'll be essential in uh, fighting the fight against the White Walkers. So I think it'll be really interesting to see that. Um, we don't really know, I think, how Valyrian steel is made. And that's a potentially like universe altering kind of development um, in forgery of all things. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how uh Gendry kind of like makes himself useful in like beyond being a very fast runner to run from frozen <laughs> lake to uh to a but castle. you
0: don't see him hopping on the iron throne
1: uh that would be that would be a real left field yeah I think pick um although
0: not a bad pick I'd be you okay see with it honestly <laughs> yeah
1: him and hot pie um him and hot pie. yeah Gilly
0: yeah um... yeah I'm super down for all of his choices for the Iron Throne. Um, I am also a big fan of Jorah Mormont. Um, and a long time ago, back when people still liked Jorah, um, people thought he might actually end up being the prince that was promised. And I no longer want that, but at the time I really wanted that. He's
1: got the jawline of a prince.
0: He's got the jawline. Um, I think he's got pretty good fashion sense. I liked his blue ascot that he was wearing for a while um no I think he I think he'd do a great job ruling over Westeros
1: yeah what made you kind of turn
0: I think I I'm still consider myself a loyalist um and even through grayscale and all I was like Jorah I'm rooting for you but leadership wise he just hasn't done a lot to prove himself as of late he's been operating kind of I wouldn't say selfish or self-interested but his arc has been a little more self-contained um And maybe that'll change and maybe he'll kind of make his way back around, which I would be very excited to see. But I definitely feel like people got sick and tired of him ogling for Danny. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that part of Jorah. Yeah. The age
1: difference is as vast as the mountain in a very uncomfortable way. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think the best that we can expect out of Jorah is going down, um, you know, doing something, uh, heroic you know for you know in service of Danny, um, but also you know maybe redemptive uh, in the sense that he'll be kind of within the orbit of House Mormont mm-hmm. um, he's in the north so it'll be interesting to see how he interacts with uh, the people that he separated himself yeah. uh, from from such a long time
0: yeah I am looking forward to that homecoming
1: yeah I think the just the very first scene I think of episode one season eight is like this kind of massive reunion, which should be really, really fun to see play out. I mean, John and Arya kind of meeting back after so long apart. um, That'll be really satisfying to see. Um, I know in our screenplay, it was, um, you know, they don't have a whole lot of time to kind of catch up initially, and they kind of have to wait for that emotional release. And Arya is actually um, uh, one of the people in... um, in our writer's room, uh, wrote this awesome scene where uh, Arya uh, is the one who comforts Jon after Jon realizes that uh, he is half Targaryen and they have this really great emotional scene in the crypts. Um, so looking forward to that kind of interaction. Um, just, if anything, to see uh, my friends' is writing validated and yeah. brought to the screen. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, all, just the shots that we've seen from that first kind of um, like trailer of people in Winterfell, looking up in abject horror and also fascination at um, you know dragons arriving and the Unsullied marching through um, the town. Um, it'll be it'll be a really interesting first episode um, just to see every, all the pieces kind of finally coming together in one spot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So thank you all for listening to us chat about Game of Thrones for a little bit. Um, please check out all of the other Daily Californians podcasts. Game of Thrones is premiering this Sunday, April 12th. You know Harry and I will be watching, but we hope you are too.
1: Yeah, um, gonna be an exciting Sunday. Sunday's coming. Um, as Shannon said, uh, subscribe, leave us a good review, um, and pick up a paper, follow us on social, yeah. all that good stuff. If
0: you're watching the episode, you can tweet us at Daily Arts. We will reply, we're super excited to talk about it with you. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Thank you.